you know, they, they all this woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know. <laughs> the shoe was on the other foot, forget it. One week ago Thursday began no doubt, no shortage of investigation into the fiery Lakewood, Colorado crash of Brazil Lazaro Aguilera Metro, who lost control of his truck on a downhill grade and ultimately crashed, killing multiple people and sending multiple others to the hospital. In the wake of the tragedy for all involved, including the driver, who was charged with vehicular homicide among other counts, there's been no small amount of finger-pointing to this or that cause, from an assumed inability of the legal immigrant from Cuba to read English on the lack, uh, to the lack of training for the driver on mountain roads to an untold number of speculations. Gordon Alkire, retired owner-operator of Riley, Kansas, reached out with a considered piece about such finger-pointing that you can find uh, and read in full via my Channel 19 blog post for May 3rd with this podcast via overdriveonline.com slash channel19. I'm Todd Dills. This is the Overdrive Radio Podcast, and Al Kyer, let it be known, has little patience for such finger-pointing and asks his fellow drivers to check their condemnation and take a close look at themselves. Quote, Ask yourself if that could have been you, he wrote. A downgrade, a loaded trailer, no brakes, confusion, fear, and panic. Turns out, Al-Khair knows well of what he speaks when he says, quote, there is no set way to do it, end quote. No set way, he means, to deal with an out-of-control downgrade situation. He had one himself, it turns out, on I-24 long ago coming down Mont Eagle Mountain in the 1970s. Though it gave him no pleasure to relive the experience, Al-Khair was kind enough to share it with me this morning. His perspective on it, and the camaraderie understanding among truckers, uh, broadly speaking, follows in this podcast. It's something that we don't really talk about. Uh, you know, that being scared is one thing, but that type of scare is hard to handle. You know, I mean, it, it's because of cooperation with other drivers, it went, it had a good ending. Don't say it went well. It just had a good ending because we, we worked together. together. Yeah. And uh, well, tell me, tell me the uh, back up for me, and, and just kind of tell me what what was going on that day for you. You know where you were in your career. What what time period are we talking about? That was sixties. Uh, uh, it was around the late seventies, I think. Okay. It was uh, about okay. seventy-seven, seventy-eight. Uh, I worked for a company out of Glasgow, Kentucky, and uh, it was a fairly regular run for for me to go down Mont Eagle on the old road, then through Chattanooga down into Georgia, and then we come back the same way. And uh, remind me what you were driving that uh, that day in, in Mont Eagle. What was that truck like? Oh, it was a excuse me, a GMC Astro ninety five. I can tell you the color; it was blue. <laughs> but I don't rem- I don't remember the engine. It was more than likely a Cummins, ten uh, speed. It was a ten speed. Uh, it was uh, the norm then. You know, it would be a piece of junk today by comparison to the new equipment. But it was the norm. It was well maintained. 
No engine was, brakes was, on that one, eh? No, no. That was when engine brakes were not on. They weren't the norm anymore, you know, yet. Uh, and a lot of companies couldn't afford to put them on their trucks, especially in retrofit. That's just one of those things. Uh, it was back in that day, Todd, trucking was hard work. Some of the trucks you got in didn't have power steering. I had a Peterbilt, a 68 Peterbilt, that we put air assist on. But uh, it was just manual labor. You worked hard. You just worked hard in it. Uh, I just, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade what I have done over the years for anything. I just wouldn't do it. This day, I'm, I've am i got a loaded trailer. Now, that's back when it's 73, 280. <laughs> no 80,000 back then. Uh, I get started out of that 76 that was at the top of the top of the, the, the mountain. I don't know if it's still there or not, to be honest with you. But anyway, I get going, and I just hadn't got very far. And I think I'm in second or third gear of a 10-speed. All of a sudden, I hit vibration in the truck and a thumping, a really terrible thumping, like, you know, somebody's sledgehammering my truck. And then it got super quiet. And I had no brakes because the whole time, I, you know, oh, what happened here? And fear. I don't I don't like that kind of fear. <laughs> you know, what happened? So I realized I had no brakes, so I grabbed the, the mic on the CB. Thank God everybody had one. And... uh told him that I'm in a southbound runaway truck, you know, and I got no brakes. And it isn't that I burned them up. I just, they just, no no brakes. And yeah, I what had, happened uh, there? You you figured it out later, right? Yes, yes, I did. Uh, I clipped a Snuffy Smith. Now, if you've been out here a long time, you'll know who Snuffy Smith was. Uh, I, anyway, we get down there, and I, I clipped the Snuffy Smith, but not real bad, you know, just wake him up, so to speak. He got on the radio and started hollering, yes, he is a runaway truck. He just flipped me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I get down to where, oh, God, I, I know this runoff ramp is coming. Oh, God bless it. I get around that last curve before we hit that short straightaway for that runoff ramp. There's some RVs in there camping. They're having a picnic, and I got the grill going. I had to make a decision. I couldn't go in there and kill those people because it surely would have taken them out. I went on by. And I finally, I made it. I pulled off. Well, I, you could almost see Chattanooga when I quit rolling. But I, I pulled it over to the side, and this trooper came up. And I had just coasted to a stop. Setting the brakes didn't help. And... Yeah. I real he he just he starts yelling at me. Why in the hell didn't you hit that runoff ramp? And I I'm still holding that steering wheel. And I said because there were campers in there. He got this look on his face. Went to his car, made a phone call or not a, a radio call. Another trooper checked it out. Yeah, they were there. Well, that's why I didn't go. His attitude changed. Well, as it turned out. The reason my brakes failed was the drive shaft broke at the back of the transmission. And it just spun around, tearing out everything, airlines, electrical lines, and then it broke off, went off on the side of the road or down the mountain or somewhere. So 
But I had when I went to get out of that that truck, Todd. I couldn't let go of the steering wheel, and that steering wheel was almost in a U shape. I had put so much pressure with my legs on the brake, and pulling up on that steering wheel to keep pressure on it, that I actually bent that steering wheel. I'm not a big guy, and I was smaller then than I am now. I couldn't get my hands off the steering wheel. They had to pry them off, and that was okay. I mean, I'm starting to breathe normal now. And then I noticed this terrible stink and odor. Sometime in that ride, I had peed my pants. have no idea how or when, but I'm going to tell you something. Scare urine stinks. Uh, Really. And people have told me that, well, that was your body just, you know, reacting. I was embarrassed, yeah, but it's just one of those things that you remember. And I, I can't remember the date, the exact thing. I can't even tell you the truck number. But that experience, that when you are 100% helpless in a dangerous situation and you just pray to God you're going to make it, uh, you must have listened to me. But I attribute most of that to the drivers that had the CB radio that we worked together. You know, I told, I, I told them, I said, take the outside curves. I'm going to take the inside curve. Okay, and they did. When I would come up on them on a curve to the right, they were on the outside. I would shoot through between the the mountainside and them. And that's one of the things that I survived because we worked together. So I can't say it was all me. You know what I mean? It was just we worked together back then. Pretty miraculous you got all the way down there. Yeah, up to this day, I don't know how I did it. You know, I I just did it. I, I can remember certain things, but uh, the whole – I just – I don't want to take that ride again. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just don't. But it's it's uh, an experience that you don't want to repeat. It's not like catching that biggest fish you ever caught before, you know, or right. doing that skydiving. It's – you just, you just don't want to redo it. But I have uh, – I listen to these people that are complaining about this little Cuban boy, Madero. Uh, they they have all the answers, right? They've never gone through this. They don't have an answer one. They're assuming everything, <laughs> you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. But I just thought I would share that with you because uh, been there, done that. Right. And it, it's just part of my history. And I, I, still, I took a while to get back in the truck. They they took a week or two to repair it, and I came to work, went back to work to uh, get back in the truck, and I tell you what, for two weeks, I found nothing but problems that I didn't like. They weren't problems. I just I needed an excuse not to get back in that truck, and right. they put new tires on it. They put new brakes on it. They showed me the new wiring. They, you know, they, they fixed things that I wanted fixed and showed me what they'd already fixed, and... Uh, Finally, one day, I said, I got to do it. So I got back on that horse. And <laughs> I now have over 50 years of riding that horse. I've got, you know, because I overcame this fear. And I just keep that in the back of my mind when I'm in mountain range. And a lot of times, uh, you know, if, if us old timers, and yeah, I'm an old timer, if we don't teach or mentor some of these new ones, 
Stuff like this is going to be more frequent. And we, you have, we have to explain to them. Drivers today don't do well at mentoring. They don't do well at communicating. They would rather take a video of this guy having trouble than get out and help him. And uh, I don't like doing that. I will offer my help. They can use. They can say sure or no, thank you. But I make that offer. And there's not enough of that going on today. Are you Are you off the road entirely uh, now, Gordon? Yes, yes, I've retired. I got my truck for sale. You want to buy one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I I decided uh, over 50 years it's time. And uh, I don't think you really want to go into the reasons with hours of service and all that stuff. <laughs> but I decided. Well, well tread, well tread territory there for sure. The biggest reason is uh, I like to pick on the hours of service and you know stuff like that, the ELD. But I've had three surgeries. Uh, I had a AAA, and then I had each knee replaced. And getting in and out of the truck uh, is a little more difficult than it used to be. So it's time to quit. Time to quit. Tell me about uh, how far along in your career were you when uh, uh, when the truck you were driving uh, that day on, on Mont Eagle? I started driving a truck somewhere around 64 or 65. Okay. And let's say this was late 70s. So I had, you know, I had a few years behind me. And... Uh, but I'd had no serious close calls like that to relate to. Everything up until that point worked. You know, almost getting hit, somebody run a stoplight, some you know, things similar to that that didn't count then. But uh, I had control at the time. I could hit the brakes, miss the accident, avoid something, you know, by choosing to. But when when I lost the brakes on that truck, I had zero control over the situation until all I could do was turn a steering wheel. And that's a wake-up call, let me tell you. What was the road uh, up there like in those days, um, I-24 through there? And it looked like it was designated for an interstate, but as an interstate by then. But what was the road like? Narrow, curvy. And yeah. there was a one place not quite halfway down that we had to make a jog to the left and then around because there was a peak. There was a well, it was a pointed edge, kind of like looking at the edge of an arrowhead. And if you looked at it when you went by, you could see colors in it, paint from trucks that had hit that head on, and pieces of metal buried in there. It was more of a, you see this? Wake up. You know, <laughs> and uh, I went I went flying by that. Now I couldn't begin to tell you today how fast I was going. I, I couldn't I couldn't do that. That was the least of my worries. <laughs> but I would say I started out at about five or six miles an hour, and I was probably when I maximum speed I would say it have to have been about fifty. Because if you go over that, you're just going off the mountain. But that's the old days, and there's not a lot of us around that remember those days, but it was something that affected me, and I still carry it. And that's why I wanted to relate that to you, because this, this little Cuban boy, he's young, inexperienced, and 
these guys complain about this and other thing. Well, how do you get experience if you don't try and do it? How how do you get mountain experience if you never drive up there? I was reading a story about uh, it was kind of a piece that it was somewhat similar um, in sort of spirit to kind of how you're coming to this. Uh, it was by a uh, you know colleague uh, writer of mine who's also a former driver. He, he writes for heavy duty trucking. His name's Jim Park, and uh, I mean he did he said something very similar, you know, because there's there's not when when it comes to training programs and uh there's it's few and far between uh the training program that's gonna actually give you any of that experience, right? He did mention mm-hmm. one out in British Columbia that is at the basically at the top of Big Mountain and uh so they get it there for sure, but uh you're not gonna get it uh most places in the country, right? No, you don't. They give you the basics in perfect condition, so to speak. And then, then they take a chance to take you out in traffic. Uh, I used to train. <clears throat> I worked for a company, and they wanted me to be a trainer. But, <clears throat> pardon me, what I decided, I said, sure, I will be a trainer, but you got 14 or 15 other trainers, and they're all going to teach something different. And I said, that's not the way to go. You have somebody come in here, and we lay out a plan so that we all teach the same things. So every one of these students has the same information. And then we will, as individuals, teach certain situations that we have been through and the tricks of the trade, so to speak. They liked the idea, so they did that. And I like to think that I turned out some pretty decent drivers. I always looked at them as, do I want to share the road with this guy? And uh, a few of them, I said, put him on a bus and send him home. I had one who could not. He could look in the mirror, but he never saw anything. He just looked in the mirror because he was told to look in the mirror. But he didn't see what he was looking at. We were down in Florida one time. He put his signal on, and I said, check your mirror. He looked in the mirror, moved to the other lane, put a Cadillac off in the medium. Didn't even see it sitting alongside of him. He got on a bus. Later that day, he was on a bus going home. <laughs> but it's, you know, we're not all the same. You know, these guys, they have a desire to be a truck driver. And I think a lot of it has to do with the company. And then, of course, the training that they got in whatever school. And then it ultimately to the trainer. And uh, I always tried to turn them into the kind of driver that I would not be afraid to be around out there on the highway. I trained my better half. Believe it or not, we stuck together. <laughs> Just one of those well, things. Yeah. Did, you, did you guys drive uh, all drive as a team? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then the company, she she went her way in her truck, and and uh, they they got us together quite a bit, you know. And uh, then we just we just. We knew a lot about each other because we, I was her trainer, and we talked and communicated, you know. And uh, we've been together now for well over 20 years, and I don't regret that. Now, that's part of my trucking history I like. <laughs> and what's, your, what's your central message for folks when it comes to this uh, you know, reaction to, to situations like what we saw in Colorado here with this particular crash? Just uh, you know, avoid the avoid the knee jerk reaction. Um, you know, the, there's going to be, of course, 
and there is, I'm sure now, uh, a huge investigation of this. What what do you, what what do you tell your fellow driver out there about this? That's that's difficult. Uh, most of them, I would just tell them if you've never experienced this, keep your mouth shut. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, everything that they know about this accident is either a photograph or a short clip of a somebody took a picture. Now they say, oh yeah, well this is a guy moving the left lane. Well, there's two pictures out there. One is of a van and one is of a different trailer. So they're they're showing two different trailers out there from what I have seen and claiming oh, it's yeah. the same one. Uh, no. It's, some of these drivers, they have to do that because they it's the only other way they can communicate. They just, you know, Everybody else is a fault but them. And I ask, what have, what close calls have you had? What kind of close calls have you ever had that you learned something from? And uh, it gets kind of quiet. You know, I've, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I've got over 50 years of experience, and I've had my share of close calls. And a very close one, uh uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm here today, and what had happened was extremely dangerous, you know, losing those brakes on the old Mont Eagle Road. But when I started reading about about this little Cuban boy, Madero, I think is his name, it uh, started bringing back some memories. When I, when I came up on that runoff ramp, Todd, and I saw those campers in there, my life changed right there. I had to make a decision. And I had a choice. I could I could try to avoid them, but I don't think I would have. There just wasn't enough around, you know, room around them. I had to make a choice, so I stayed in the truck and I rode it out. And there was a, a 50-50, I would make it or I wouldn't. And I made it. Yeah, I survived it. and. Uh, I, I I remember that when I worked like Black Mountain, you know, going into North Carolina, maybe down the Grapevine. I used to run California, and no engine brake. Never had a problem going up or down the mountains because we knew how. You know, start out slow and stay that way. You know, easier said than done sometimes, but there's always that one person who has to be first, has to be in front. And he is. He stays that way till he crashes. And I don't. I don't want to be that. And I think it's. You know, it's just. It's just something that's inherent in in some truckers. You know. And, and they put too much, too much into the carrier name. You know, like they pick on Swift. It used to be J B Hunt. Now it's Swift and. Uh, you know, there's a driver behind the wheel of that truck they're complaining about. And Swift, they've got several safe million-mile drivers. Every carrier's got them. But it's the few that screw up, drop the trailer in the ditch, taking a short turn, leaving the truck stop, things like that that they uh, they pick on. Uh, it, used to, it used to be, Todd, I could be out for two or three weeks. I'd come home for 24 hours. I was chomping at the bit to get back out there. 
we knew drivers. I mean, there was a camaraderie. There was a, a, we were a family out there. I could listen. You listen. You hear a voice. You know who that is. Hey, panty snatcher. Hey, cucumber. Is that you? Yeah, fisherman. You. We didn't have names. It wasn't Gordon or Sam or Todd or Bill or John. We went by CB handles, and some of the waitresses knew us by our CB handle. Right. And there's a there's there's a lot of times, Todd, that this that the waitress could do a better job of bringing up a behind log than the driver could. I mean, this <laughs> this it was just a fact of life. But we had a camaraderie, and you know, we all stuck together. I started driving. When you pulled into a truck stop, it was a dirt gravel parking lot. The little attendant might be 16 years old, would come out there. How much eat? Ah, fill it up, or 50 gallon, or whatever. And they would fuel it, check your oil, your water levels, clean your glass, and park it for you. Here's a 16 year old blindsided into a hole without hitting anybody with two pull ups. You know, things like that. Uh, those days are gone. And you never worried about it getting in. Of course, we didn't have CBs then, but it just there was a certain camaraderie that we had. Alkire, interestingly, in his last roughly decade and a half trucking, found a similar dynamic among the community of avid skydivers, fall places. Here, he takes us out with a bit of a run through that interest, which has its origins with a direct link to what else? Alkire's trucking career. I was delivering in North Carolina, and I was on my way to the Walmart, which had truck parking, and it was a nice place to park. And uh, I see the sign that says, Brun- skydiving today, Brunswick County Airport. I said, hmm, okay. I made a hard right-hand turn instead of a left-hand turn. Went to the airport, and that's where I started my skydiving. Oh, if, if I wasn't was, in the truck, it would have never that? happened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably 15 years ago, 12, 15 years ago. Okay. But it's, Are you, you know, still, highly, you still doing that? No, no. Uh, I couldn't take a chance on my knees, uh, injuring my knees. I've had them replaced. I got titanium knees now. And they tend to hollow out some of the bone to make them fit, but they're glued in. Uh, you know, they're, they're actually the new knees are glued into the bone. And uh, I couldn't take a chance on a bad landing. Up until that point, I had perfect landings. But no. But I can say I did it. Hallelujah. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> Let's do it one time. Yeah, that's interesting. So t- tell me about tell me about more about that first time that you did. You do it was the first time there at the old airport, North Carolina. Yeah, I uh, Brunswick County Airport. Uh, they're centrally located between the Marine Base up in North Carolina and uh, the Army Base has the Airborne. They had, they were so many skydivers that are in the military because military air parachuting is nothing like skydiving, but you still jump out of a plane. They had campers and tents lined up. I mean, every weekend there would be 100 people out there, and weather permitting, of course. The camaraderie that I have found in skydiving is unlike any place else. You do something, you get a nickname. That's it. <laughs> And one guy landed in a tree. They called him Branch. You know, another guy landed in a golf course in the pond. They come up with a name for him. It's, but 
you know, they don't get derogatory about it. They give you a nickname that means you're part of the can you know, you're part of the family at Sky Divers. Uh, now, my aunt, she's ninety two. She just had her ninety second birthday. And when she was ninety she was still skydiving. I would tell her about it, what I felt when I skydived, jumped out of that plane and everything. So she decided to try it and she loved it. Yeah. You know, That's amazing. ninety years old. <laughs> yeah, her oh, wow. goal, her goal was to jump from all fifty states. She's already got Hawaii, Colorado, Kansas, Missouri. Her next one is going to be Alaska, and uh, then then she will work on the rest of the states. But she wants to get Alaska in there. Uh, but it's just one of those things. She's an old country girl. Can't hold her down. Yeah, I recommend it. I really do. I recommend it. I've never skydiving. done it. There's something about it that uh, well, <laughs> you're you're going to hear this. You know, why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? There is no perfectly <laughs> yeah. good airplane. Every landing is a controlled crash. Okay, <laughs> so what's that? Right. What's the difference here? <laughs> right. No, it's it's just it's not for everybody. But I recommend. You know, at least try it. You know, you, once you sign up, you get in that plane. You don't have to jump out of that plane. That's your yeah. decision. So, you know, they'll bring you right back down, you know, and they won't ridicule you. And it happens a lot. Believe me, it happens a lot. Yeah, it does. 